what God's word does is really as it confronts us with the reality of who we are. Right, like in, in, in Timothy, right, Paul says that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword, meaning it, it has the ability to get us to see things about ourselves that are often blind spots and we don't notice without being challenged. But I want you to think about this text for a minute. And I want you to think about what Solomon is trying to communicate to his son here as he writes this. Right, he says that he passed the field of a sluggard. Right, a sluggard is someone who is habitually lazy. Right, we actually, like it's taken from the idea of the insect, the slug itself. And Solomon is saying as he saw this field of a sluggard, it was overgrown with thorns. Thorns kind of represent from like an image perspective the idea of uh, preventing the crops from growing, right? Things are choked up, meaning that this, this guy who owns this field, who owns this vineyard, his crops aren't growing properly because there's other things inhibiting their growth and their produce. He says he also noticed that the stone wall was broken down. How, how many of you guys are familiar with farming, by the way? Yeah, like 10% of you. I kind of figured that, right? Uh, any good farmer is going to have some sort of fence around their field or their crops. Otherwise, animals and other things get in there and destroy it. And oftentimes, animals still try to find a way in. But what he's saying here about the idea of this stone wall being down is it's allowing animals and robbers to move in and steal and eat whatever produce may be uh, being yielded in the vineyard. And ultimately, Solomon's making just one really, really strong point to his son in this text. Laziness leads to poverty. There are other things that lead to poverty. He's not addressing those in this text. But what, he's, what he is saying is that a lifestyle of habitual laziness, a lack of discipline, a lack of self-control, all things you'll see throughout the Proverbs, by the way, are something that leads to poverty. And he's not just speaking here of poverty and wealth, which is absolutely true, but this bleeds over into poverty spiritually, poverty relationally, Right, that a failure to attend to and be consistent and lack self-control leads to a life that is littered with poverty in various areas and arenas of measurement. And ultimately, he desires his son to avoid poverty and to lead others out of poverty as well. Remember Solomon, he's the king. He has this responsibility to Israel to lead them, to guide them, to shepherd them, to point them towards God. And so as Solomon writes these Proverbs, he's not just writing from the standpoint of trying to protect his son, but he understands that the way that his sons live their lives will in many ways also dictate the path that Israel will lead. That their leadership, the way they live their lives will also lead to the flourishing or the poverty of God's people. So if then Solomon's instruction or observation is that laziness leads to poverty, what then would be the positive instruction that we can draw out of what's being said here? Because right? we see a lot of negative here, right? 
And that would be this. Hard work, discipline, self-control are pathways to freedom and joy rather than poverty for the sluggard. Right? What, what Solomon is trying to get us to see is that things like discipline, self-control are actually God's gift to us for human flourishing, not the opposite. To put it another way, work and work ethic matter to God. They matter deeply to him. This is why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord, not for men. He, he gives a call to work hard, and then he says, he makes sure that he adds a qualifier to that, but we work as if we're working directly for God as our boss, not for man. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about God's view of work and discipline, right? The framework of kind of what we've seen in Proverbs chapter 24 is this idea that, that work ethic and work matter to God and that laziness is abhorrent and not for our own good. So we're going to spend the rest of the morning unpacking this idea of work and discipline from a biblical perspective. Now, let me start by saying this. I cannot possibly exhaust that topic. It's, it's large. So if you walk away today and you're like, hey, Kevin, you, you started a good primer for me. This was really, really helpful. I think it was great. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a book recommendation for you for the readers in the room, right? This is a, a book by uh, the Reverend Timothy Keller. You also can refer to him as his high holiness, the bishop, whatever else you want to refer to him. Right, those of us that uh, are in ministry kind of view him as our pope in many ways. Um, he wrote this book called Every Good Endeavor. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Extremely good book on like the idea of connecting vocation and work to God's design and understanding how your vocation and your work fits into the grand design of who God created you to be. But here's why all of this matters and why we're kind of tackling this and looking at this this morning. Work matters to God because it's what, in, in, in the very beginning, it's kind of how he designed us to operate. And to experience all that God wants us to be, we need a proper understanding of work's design and how we fit into that. And then how that is designed for our joy, our flourishing, and the glorification of our God. Which I will ultimately submit to you that if, if you are operating in a way that understands kind of what your purpose is and how work fits into that grand idea of God's creation, we'll experience true freedom. And what often ends up happening, because we are all products of the culture we live in, the homes we live in, the education that we received, that as we maybe even have been Christians for years— we have this maybe semi-biblical understanding of things like work or other topics, but then they're also marred and distorted by the culture around us. And many of us will take into, myself included, an idea like work and vocation will, will carry in false ideas about what work is supposed to be. To be. So we're going to look at three things this morning, kind of trying to unpack this idea of what work is. Right, the first one is we're going to look at God's design for us and for work. The second thing we're going to see is we're going to 
try to unpack why work is so difficult. And, and here's a spoiler. It's because of the curse. And then the third thing we're going to see is that Jesus frees us to recapture the joy of what work is supposed to be. So turn over to Genesis chapter 1 with me. And we're going to start in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here you are. We're in Genesis 1. We're seeing the creation story. We're seeing what God does. And what, what I just read for you is often referred to as the creation mandate. Right? It's the, the kind of the first order that God gives to mankind after he has created them. And I want you to look at some of the vocabulary that is used there when God is speaking to mankind, right? He uses the word dominion, right? Therefore, as human beings, God has given to human beings ruling authority over the earth in his image. This means that creation is designed to need mankind's creativity, leadership, and work. Right, one of the things that I, I hear from like a cultural perspective pretty regularly now is like, hey, the earth is fine. And because of things like global warming or temperature change or whatever you want to call it, that mankind's ruining everything. And I, I'm not going to get into an argument with you all that I am not smart enough. But what I would say is, is the, the assumption then is that, well, human beings are the cause for all the ills, so we just need to get rid of them. And I would say that I can, from a theological perspective, for sure reject because as a matter of fact, right, God calls us as human beings to, to mirror his image and likeness. Therefore, we're to have dominion and bring creativity, to bring innovation, to bring leadership, and to bring work to the earth. That God actually designed this planet to have human beings having dominion over it in his image and likeness. Not only does he say that we're to have dominion, but he says we're to be fruitful we're supposed to do things like have families, create things, create industries, provide. And then he tells us to multiply, which means we're called to move and spread out over the, curse, uh, the, the, the entire earth. That this creativity and this dominion is not just supposed to be in Mesopotamia, but it's supposed to spread to the ends of the earth. And then lastly, he says to subdue it which is the Hebrew word for conquer or force or to keep in check. And this is where I would submit to you for the first time in the very, very first chapter of scripture, we see this idea that God created Adam and Eve to work. He places them in the garden of Eden and he says, you got work to do, subdue this. Right, put it in check, 
conquer it, make it run properly. And what this means for mankind, which would include all of us in this room this morning, is that it is in our design, it's in God's creative intention for humans that we were created to work. This means if you've set up your entire life in such a way as to not work, you're on a pathway to misery. And I would, I would say this, God has designed work to subdue, right, the planet, as, as, as he says here, to kind of operate in two planes, right? It's two prongs, right? The first one is to cultivate, right? We see that in that word, be fruitful and multiply. Work is the means by which we make things out of the raw materials of what God has created, right? Human beings are called to, to innovate, to create, to be fruitful, to multiply what God has already placed here. And the goal of cultivation and, and subject, subjection, as he says to Adam and Eve here in Genesis chapter 1, is to cultivate a thriving environment in which we live in. Fruitful and multiply are descriptive words of life, not of death. Meaning the call for human beings is to bring life and beauty into all that we pass. And this means that work, the things that you and I are designed for, is for our flourishing and the flourishing of others. And there, there, there are kind of some ways that, that cultivation it becomes fruitful. Right? And this is one of the things I love about God, right? Because with, with us being made in his image and likeness, there's things about us that are unique and different to us, but they mirror the likeness of our creator. Right? Any, any good work team has like a balance of personalities. Right? I think like if you want to see fruitful cultivating work, right, you'll see on one side creativity. Right? These are these are the the, the type of people that like they just dream big all the time. They have tons of ideas. They can they 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 sometimes are like maybe a little more artistic and, and they're always innovating. They use their imagination or original ideas to innovate as they bring cultivation to the world around them. Right? If that's kind of the way you are are bent, right? That's kind of what brings passion to you, like good. God's designed you. You're needed, right? So we have one side of this cultivation aspect, which is creativity. But here's kind of what I've learned about creatives over the years. You tend to not be great at getting things done. The creatives are laughing, or maybe the assertive people are laughing because they're like, yep, work with some of those people. Right? And so the other aspect of cultivation is not just dreaming about how something is supposed to happen, that, that something can be, but actually putting it into practice. And so you have this idea of creativity and cultivation and assertiveness, which is confident and purposeful in its intention. These are the type of people that they take your idea and get things done. Right? Many of you guys may or may not know that person at Aletheia Church is Pastor Theo. Right? It's like 
Kevin has some crazy harebrained idea for us to do something, then I just sit there and look dumbfounded, right? And then Pastor Theo will be like, yeah, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And there's actual, like, you know, things like organization, structure, plans, right? If you guys don't believe me, find Brent Smith after service and ask him what it was like in the early years of Aletheia Church. And when you bring these two things together, and, and God has all uniquely designed each and every one of us. Some of us lean more creative. Some of us lean more assertive. Some of us kind of strike down the middle. But when you bring all those things together, you see the beauty of God's mandate as this idea of being fruitful and multiplying moves out across the earth. And when it works well and it works well together, it is a blessing to the entire world, not just individually. Like God's design is that we work together with our unique gifts and abilities to bring flourishing and blessing to the world around us. So we see that one, work is supposed to be a cultivating work. The second thing we see is that work is centered around this idea of service or serving. And I would submit that this one is probably going to be a little bit harder to swallow. Life and work ultimately is not about you. I, that's really hard to be. I mean, like all of us, if you grew up in the U.S., I know you heard this. You can be anything you want. You can do whatever you want, which one is not actually true. But, but two, right, it breeds a culture of narcissists. God in his design for work designed it to be corporate in nature, not individualistic. And when we start seeing things go awry with our theology of work and our understanding of how we we, we participate in it, what God has called us to be, almost always the root of the problem start with selfishness and viewing work as a means to an end for self rather than serving others and glorifying God. Work is the means by which God gives us dominion over the created order where we are to rule and reign as he does, bringing life, hope, joy, and thriving to the world around us. And that cannot be done without service in mind, to serve the greater good, to serve someone other than self. And so if we, if we stop for a second, we just pause and we, we take a step back and we, just, we, we look at Genesis chapter one and we, just, we look at it and we say, okay, this tends to confront a lot of what we might be inclined to believe about work, at least in the United States. This tends to confront some of those things. But the implications of what is said here in Genesis chapter 1 are profound. 
Right? If, the, if the reason you and I are here is to bring glory to God and work in such a way and have dominion over the earth in such a way that it reflects the glory of our creator, this means then that work matters and almost all work has value. I mean, think about it from this perspective, right? Educators, right? Low-hanging fruit. Everybody loves educators for the most part, right? They prepare people for creativity, expertise, and innovation in their field. Right? Their, their job both cultivates the minds of younger people and serves them. Farmers. They provide sustenance for us so that people can focus and, and have expertise in other fields and not have to worry about tilling and toiling over the land. Right? We, if it weren't for advancements and in innovation and creativity in agriculture, all of us would have little plots of land and still be farmers somewhere. Service jobs like janitors, delivery workers, laborers, both cultivate and bring order to the world around us and provide value in freeing up others so that they can cultivate and serve in their particular areas. See a common thread here? It does not matter what your vocation or job is. It matters and has value. And when we allow God to kind of reorient our mindset towards this, we start living in a way that where when we understand that all work has value, we can start pursuing it from a much more positive and life-giving perspective. So if God's design is so great, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, but so far I, I kind of like this. Kind of like the idea that no matter what I'm doing, it, it, it matters and has value and purpose. Then why doesn't work always feel so liberating? Like I worked for Chick at Chick-fil-A for years. Didn't always quite feel so liberating when I was saying my pleasure to you. <laughs> Turn over to Genesis chapter 3 with me. And here's what we're going to see starting in verse 17. Work is difficult and doesn't feel this way because of the curse. Look at verse 17. So this is after Adam and Eve have both eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's cursed uh, the snake. He's cursed Eve. And then look at what he says to Adam. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Great Hallmark card there, by the way. Work. 
work in its design has gone between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3 from a liberating, purposeful endeavor to a difficult and often exhausting reality. I mean, think about the language of, of what God uses there as he, as he places the curse on Adam. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Right? So let's start here. This is not God's fault. It's ours, collectively, mankind's. If you really, really want to go all the way back and blame Adam, I would encourage you not to blame shift too much. Everything will be more difficult because of their sin. Farming, serving, studying, cultivating is now difficult because of this curse. He says, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Meaning, whatever work you set out to do, there's going to be toil, burden, pain. And you may even grow to resent it over time. This is why, like, one of the most common things I hear from people is like, oh, I just hate my job. I, just, I need to find my purpose. And I always try to remind people like, hey, I'm not against changing vocations or careers, but I'm just telling you right now, you could do whatever job you want to do and you are going to hate it at some point. Like, guys, I love being the pastor of Aletheia Church. It is a gift and a joy. I really hate it some days. Because work is cursed now. Right? Cultivation is difficult. In pain some days, I toil and burden as I pastor this church. The same goes for an educator. The same goes for a doctor, a businessman, a businesswoman. And students... If you are a full-time student, your primary vocation is that of a student. And it's hard sometimes, amen? Because we toil with this. He says that thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Meaning that it's difficult, that there's no cooperation. That as we subject and subdue the world around us, it's going to be difficult. And then he says this, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Meaning sometimes to make something happen in our work and our vocations, an enormous amount of effort and energy is going to be required to make this happen. Because of sin, work has become exponentially more difficult and challenging. Right? And that's just the aspect of the curse. Now add on top of that, that you and I each struggle with certain sinful tendencies that are going to exacerbate the reality of that curse. Let me just give you two examples. But if you're in our gospel communities, I'm going to encourage you guys this week to spend some time working through other sinful tendencies that exacerbate the reality of work being cursed. But let me just give me, let me give you one. One sinful tendency that I see is that oftentimes as human beings, we tend to place our identity in our work. To put it another way, our work, we allow our work or our vocation to define our worth as human beings. Here's, here's the kind of first problem with that just from like a, a logical perspective. If work is going well, you're going to then be led to having false ideas that you are doing well. 
when you may not be. I, I remember when my grandfather got cancer and it came up on his scans. He was talking to the doctor. He felt fine. He's like, well, what are you talking about? I have cancer. Like, I'm not coughing. I don't have any, I don't have any issues. Like, what do you mean? And he had stage four lung cancer. Just because things seemingly are going well does not mean that the reality of what's going on underneath is actually okay. One of the great lies that we can fall into is that if we place our identity and our worth and our vocation, if that is going well, we might falsely believe that the greater reality of our souls are in an okay condition. Now, on the on the flip side of that, when work is not going well, when work is, is less productive, or it's not fun, or we don't enjoy the work we're doing, or we can't see maybe intrinsically off the, off the bat the value that we're bringing to the greater whole around us, then we tend to think that we have no value, that my life's a waste. These are the people that live for the weekend, as they're called. They just punch in punch out, and have no purpose. Your value is defined by what God says about you, not your vocation. It starts in Genesis 1 where God made you in his image and likeness meaning you have intrinsic value and you matter to God whether you believe in him or not. Many people go down paths of despair because they believe their work is valueless, not prestigious, or obviously fruitful. What we see in Genesis 1 is all work has value in God's eyes, unless it is explicitly sinful. example of this because this is something I've seen maybe in the last like decade or so. Stay-at-home parents. Like especially like um, with with the rise of women in the workplace over the last hundred years in our country and the and the wonderful advancements we've made, right, and freedoms for women, like voting and working. Right? One of the things that has come out of that is, and I've seen this even in my wife's own life, when she chose to stay home with our kids, is she kind of got looked down upon as if she wasn't doing enough because she was just staying at home with the kids. Now, what I'm about to say, any, any parent in here is going to immediately know what I'm talking about. Right? Guys, a stay-at-home parent, the amount of value they bring cannot be quantified. Like, if you don't believe me, uh, just go meet Ruth Ann. She's our children's ministry director. After the service, she would love to have you help watch the kids on Sunday mornings and probably even watch her own son if you pass her sniff test. And you will learn very quickly the amount of value staying at home with a kid brings. The value that my wife brought by staying home with our kids, not only does she save us money economically by not having to pay for daycare or babysitting or whatever else it may be, but the values and teaching and instruction and things she did with my sons in those early years, we cannot go back and redo them. You cannot get them back. And this is not a call. This is not me from the stage saying, if you're not doing this, you're doing it wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to say is that sometimes 
stay-at-home parents get looked down on, and that's a job that matters deeply to God. Because all work matters. All work has value. So work, therefore, is God's design for us to lead fruitful and joy-filled lives. But the curse has fractured that intended purpose and made work an often difficult and exhausting proposition. The question then becomes, right, we see God's design, we see reality, why would we pursue working the way that God calls us to? Why pursue discipline and put away sluggardness, as Solomon says in Proverbs 24? Because through the gospel, Jesus frees us to recapture God's design for work. Right? What Adam marred and ruined, Jesus rescued and redeemed. To avoid poverty and instead live as God intended, we partner with King Jesus to take it back for the glory of God. Jesus frees us to recapture the joy of work and vocation. Three points, and then we're going to have some time of response. The first one is this. Jesus, through his life, frees us to a new standard. Right, turn over to Matthew chapter 22 with me. Right, we see here in Matthew 22, right, the Pharisees are trying to uh, trip up Jesus. And when you get to verse 36, right, look at what they said to him. They said, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And look at Jesus' response. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God. Love others. Friends, if you are doing that in your vocation, you're doing well. Like, well, wait a minute. I have C's in my classes. Not a big deal. I'm a middling performer in my company. Loving God and loving others? Believe it or not, we're not going to get to heaven and God's not going to ask your GPA. He's not. When we get to heaven, God's not going to ask, what promotions did you get in your career field? Those aren't going to be questions that he asks. Questions that are going to be asked is, did you love me and did you love others? Because the new standard that God gives us is not defined by culture, success, or productivity output, or prestige, or wealth. We are free to work in just about any occupation as long as we are loving God and seeking to love others. That should be liberating. You may have a particular calling to do that in one particular arena or the other. Put away the notion of selfishness that says, this is going to define me. 
is instead we allow God to define that. Not only does Jesus free us to a new standard, but he frees us to I turn over to Matthew chapter 28. I'm sure most of you are going to be familiar with this if you grew up in the church at all. Starting in verse 18. This is called the Great Commission. And the original Great Commission was the creation mandate of Genesis 1 that got screwed up by Adam and Eve. And then we see Jesus give a new Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is simple now. Make disciples. Tell others about Jesus. Tell other people the good news of what Jesus has done. You guys may have noticed when you sat down, there's a little postcard sitting on your seat. We've been doing this at our church now for about four years. We call it our one campaign. I'm going to lead you guys through a time in a minute, but look on the back, right? We're going to have you write down the name of one person that you know does not know Jesus, is not walking with him as, as their Lord and Savior. And I want you just to write their name down and keep this in your Bible. If, you're, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian and a follower of Jesus, write your own name down. And then there's some encouragement on the back that just tells you to pray for them daily, to practice hospitality, and share the gospel or the good news with them. As our church has been doing this for years, we've baptized probably close to a dozen people whose names were written on a card like this one. All because God frees us to partner with him in the mission of sharing the good news of what he's done for others and for us. Lastly, Jesus frees us from works righteousness. Right? The false notion that our works, our vocation, define us and display value. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me translate that for you. Jesus worked on our behalf. He kept the law. He was fruitful. He was obedient. And then he gives us that standing with the Father. I turn over to Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you are here this morning and you are in Christ, here are some things that are true of you. You are adopted. You are loved. You are forgiven, and you are free to work, live, 
and obey God, not to earn his favor, but because you already have it. You are free to fail and to receive mercy time and time again.